Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. I'm your host, Todd Burroughs, the Run to Daylight Fanball podcast, as this is the fourth podcast that I'm doing in partnership with Fanball. You can find me on Twitter at Todd from PA. That's Todd with one D. Uh, Pretty exciting week for me as I taped an episode of the Fantasy Feast with Ross Tucker and Evan Silva, uh, my second podcast. time on the fantasy feast and that's supposed to air on wednesday thursday um you know until it comes out you always worry but uh, the taping seemed to go pretty well and and that's real exciting and tentatively scheduled to go on and talk best ball with bob harris and the football diehards on Sirius sunday night i believe that'll be 9 p.m uh, you can check my Twitter feed and, and stay in contact. If you're a best ball guy, uh, definitely follow me on Twitter, and the best ball conversation will continue, uh, especially with the guy I've got coming on today. Um, this episode, as I mentioned, is part of my weekly series of articles with a podcast attached for my fantasy league. I mean, MFL 10s on Fanball the new home of MFL 10 drafts. The new software is outstanding and only going to get better, and I've already personally joined about 20 drafts. Fanball, the new home of MFL 10s, the same format you know and love, but with more states allowed to play this year, more options, and more fun. Speaking of my guest today, it's Mike Beers. You can find him on Twitter at Beerswater. He has started a really cool new platform where he's sharing all his work called the Best Ball Command Center. I happen to be a member, and a lot of the really smart guys in the Best Ball community congregate there in the Slack chat. And um, so if you're really into Best Ball, I recommend it highly. Mike's also a contributor at Rotogrinders and at Rotoviz. He considers himself a charter of things, and uh, as we talked about on a pod earlier this year, he was also the 2017 Pros versus Joes champion. Mike, welcome back to the Run to Daylight podcast. Hey, Todd. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back, um, and thank you for the kind introduction there. I'm excited to talk about some best ball and uh, roster construction. Yeah, no, hey, anyone who listens to my show knows I don't give faint praise. Mike Mike does really great work, and uh, if you want to tear apart MFLs from a roster construction, which is our topic for today, Mike has always been on the 
uh, industry lead and the cusp of that kind of study, um, definitely um, check out uh, the Best Ball Command Center. Mike, I know you you know you've been on my pod before, but since this is for Fanball, I know you have a background in finance. Can you please tell everyone how you use that background in your studies of MFL tens and how you started delving deeper into understanding roster construction? Sure. Um, yeah, so I spent about eight years in the finance industry, and most of that was working for what are called funds of funds, which are, uh, which is like a fund that invests in hedge funds. Um, and a lot of that was evaluating uh, the hedge fund managers and, uh, um, you know, deciding who the best ones would be. It was a lot like uh, finding fantasy football players, actually. Um, but the part that really relates to roster construction is um, the portfolio management side of it. Uh, you know, it wasn't just enough to find good hedge fund managers. You had to build a roster of managers that uh, fit together and, um you know, got you the, uh, you know, the right amount of returns with the right amount of risk. And, um, you know, so that's sort of the parallel I draw. And then in terms of um, how I started delving deeper into it, um, it was really just curiosity um, more than anything. Uh, You know, it was um, a few years ago now that I started playing best ball and uh, naturally um, sort of being competitive, um, you know, it was a new game to me and I, I wanted to learn more about it. And, uh, you know, I found some articles about roster construction, um, you know, how to build a winning team, but they were very um, sort of high level. You know, there were, there were things on um, Rotoviz, for example, they were great articles, but, um, you know, I, I would read them and they would suggest, you know, one or two possible ways to build your roster. And I just came away with questions, you know, um, well, you know, should I build my roster the same way if I started my draft with three wide receivers uh, or four wide receivers? Uh, is that the same as starting your draft with three or four running backs? Um, you know, it seems like it shouldn't be. But uh, those questions weren't being answered, and um, and so I just set off to answer them myself because uh, I figured it could give me an edge in this game that um, you know at the time didn't seem like uh, you know it was too overly analyzed, um, unlike other corners of fantasy sports. Yeah, absolutely, and you know one thing that you and I have talked about is how some guys tend to be very numbers-driven and other guys want to kind of go by their gut. And there's this argument sometimes on Twitter on which way is the better way. And really, I, I think if if you're really good at numbers, you also should have a, a fairly good sense of draft boards and players. And you know my philosophy. I'm never going to be the numbers guy you are but I never want to run headlong against the numbers, correct? Right. I mean, you know, the case with a, a lot of the debates um, in fantasy sports and, and elsewhere is the, the answer is somewhere in between, right? I mean, the, you, want to, you want to be aware of um, the numbers and, and the, uh, you know, kind of the, the best areas to, um, to focus um, and but then you know you got to know the players. I mean, there's there's not really any substitute for that. And and marrying the two together is what um, I really try to do. 
Absolutely. And since this is an introduction to roster construction, Mike, can you please explain to those who might not know what roster construction is in MFL 10s, the basics? Right. So um, at the very basic, you know, high level, roster construction just means uh, how many of each player you're going to take at each position. Uh, You know, there are five positions um, in MFL 10s. And, uh, you know, so how many quarterbacks are you going to have on your roster? How many wide receivers? How many running backs? How many tight ends? How many defenses? Um, and, you know, there are, there are very, very, very many combinations um, that you can choose from, uh, you know, two quarterbacks, three quarterbacks, four, you know, um, and it really comes down to, I mean, there are certain ways of building your roster that are, that just make a lot more sense than others. I mean, some of it's obvious, you know, you, you don't want to roster eight quarterbacks, right? um, but you know, it gets, uh, gets narrower than that. And, um, you know, you can look at what has worked in the past. Uh, something I focus on is win rates and the, the way I find win rates is, uh, I look at rosters from past seasons, um, actual MFL 10 drafts um, from the past several years. And, you know, I look at um, what, what construction won the most frequently, you know, did uh, two quarterbacks win more than four quarterbacks or one quarterback. Um, and we can actually quantify that. And um, sometimes, you know, the, the difference is not very big and sometimes it's very meaningful. Um, and you can really kind of just zero in on, the right ranges to be in for your roster. You've talked about roster construction as guardrails. Can you please explain what that means and exactly what construction, you know, at each position would you consider within and not within the guardrails? In other words, I'll start it off by saying, you know, quarterbacks, it tends to be ideal to have two or three. That's within the guardrails, correct? Right. Um, yeah. So what I mean by guardrails is, um, you know, there's not one right answer to how you should construct your roster. Um, it's going to change depending on the draft, depending on, um, you know, who you draft in the first several rounds, which positions are draft stronger, position. weaker. Right. And, um, you know, so as long as you're staying within these ranges, you're giving yourself a, a shot. Right. If you if you've um, sort of balanced your your players in the right way, so that you know, so the ranges are for quarterback, as you mentioned, two to three. Um, you want to come away with either two or three quarterbacks. Wide receiver, it's generally seven to eight, though you can stretch it um, to six or nine. Um, six is really on the low end, though. I prefer not to go that low. Um, running back, you generally want to be between four and six. Um, you know, I came up with a sort of unique three running back strategy a couple of years ago, but it's certainly not the norm. Um, and you kind of have to build your roster a specific way. Um, but really four to six uh, at running back and then tight end. Again, like quarterback, it's two to three. I mean, you can get away with four. You really can't get away with one. Um, but two or three generally works. And at defense, again, it's two or three. Um, you know, you, from draft to draft, you can, you can mix it up. You know, you, you might have two quarterbacks and three defenses in one draft and three quarterbacks and two defenses in the other. 
But if you're within those ranges, you're not going off the rails. Um, and you can, you know, one way of saying it is roster construction, because, you know, it's not so tight a range. There are a bunch of ways to do it correctly. It's not going to win you your league, just like building your roster perfectly. But if you really stray outside those ranges, um, you will lose you your league. Uh, you The win rates uh, when you get outside of those ranges are very poor, um, and you really kind of need to stay within those guardrails. Yeah, I, I and I, I agree with that. I I compare it a, a little bit also as for another analogy is if you've got an electric fence outside to keep your pet um, within the you know so that your pet stays safe. You don't care where in the backyard he goes, but you want to make sure he's not going to go outside of that area because that you can't you know you can't control the environment there. Um, yeah, while there might be only a one percent difference, let's say between two quarterbacks and three, um, when, when you know if you only drafted one quarterback, you, you, you're putting yourself a few percentage points behind the eight ball before anything else happens historically, correct? That's right. That's exactly right. You know, let's take a step back, because I mentioned the Slack channel that you opened this year. It's actually a platform uh, that includes a Slack channel uh, that you uh, started called the Best Ball Command Center. Uh, Where did the idea come from, and what would our listeners find if they joined? Um. So the idea is um, just that I've done a whole lot of work on this. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of a niche thing, but it's growing. And um, I've really been able to share my work with very few people. Um, and I and it's something I really love talking about, um, something I would love to share with more people. And what we've done with Best Ball Command Center is sort of given me a platform to you know, share that knowledge that I've built and the experience from drafting, um, you know, hundreds of teams over the past few years, um, you know, in, in terms of what people would find if, if they were to sign up, they would, um, there is not only access to that data um, as well as articles I've written in the past, but um, we have a, a couple of channels where, you know, in one of them, we're just talking about football all day, as, you know, at, especially as it relates to best ball, um, as news breaks, you know, how should we react to that? Um, and then we also have what we're calling an on the clock channel where, um, you know, if you're actually involved in the middle of a draft um, and, you know, need some advice on uh, maybe what position you need to target for the next couple of rounds or even, um, you know, which, which player you just can't decide between two players. Um, either I or um, Russell Clay, who's been working with me, you know, will come in and, and give some advice on that um, based on our experience and um, our rankings, which we also provide. Um, we have rankings and we're tracking ADP from um, multiple sites, um, you know, several times a week we're updating it and really just trying to stay on top of things. Um, you know, I'm sharing all this strategy work that I've done with subscribers uh, in a real-time basis, um, as well as um, just providing access to the research I've done in the past. Um, and, and frankly, it's just been a lot of fun for me. I mean, you know, I'm 
I'm sort of on there all day. Um, you know, if, if I haven't checked in for an hour, it kind of like stresses me out because I want to know what's going on and see if people have any questions. And, and it's, it's already turning into what I really hoped it would turn into, which is kind of a community um, where we're all helping each other out and kind of rooting for each other and, and everybody's getting better. Um, you know, I can already see it after just a couple of weeks. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, in terms I, of, uh, I'm really so enjoying ahead. it myself. And, uh, you know, so if you want to come talk to me and Mike and some other really good best ball guys were there, I mostly stick to the, the MFL 10, uh, which is my passion on fan ball. Um, I know that the software, Mike, is uh, it's a new platform with Fanball. Um, what's your take on it so far out of the gate? Uh, Fanball, it's been great. Actually. Um, you know, I there's not much that I really miss from um, MFL, and the MFL did a great job too, but um, Fanball's draft room um, is really sort of top-notch, um, and it's been a really smooth transition for me. Um, and I've jumped in a whole bunch of drafts, just like you have. So, um, you know, <laughs> in fact, we were back to back and belly to belly in one just the other day. Yep. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that one's still going. So we'll see how it turns out. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be fun. Uh, you were gonna say one other thing, though. I think I interrupted you. Why don't you finish that thought? Oh, just back on the uh, command center. I uh, just wanted to mention. Um, we're doing a, a reduced price. It's only twenty nine ninety nine before the NFL draft, and that's for the whole off season. Um, and if you want to sign up, it's at um, DynastyCommandCenter.com. There's a link. Um, we're partnered with them. That's another great product, but um, that I won't go into right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so if you do come on, say hello to Mike. Say hello to me. Jump in some fanball drafts and see if you can kick our butts. Uh, we don't think you can, but maybe you can. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, but that's, uh, but that is a lot of fun to try either way. And and Mike and I both know that uh, as much as we try and be really good at these, there's a lot of underrated guys doing these things. But back to roster construction, Mike. Beyond the two to three quarterbacks, five to six running backs, et cetera, that you've broken down already, roster construction win rates. Um, you've broken them down further. <clears throat> For instance, um, you know, when we talk about it, it's like two, five, seven, three, three. Um, that's one of the more popular rates, and that means two quarterbacks, five running backs, seven wide receivers, and three each defense and uh, tight end. Uh, what are some of the best constructions over time? So uh, among the um... – you know, the ones that are, are actually attempted in more than 5% of drafts, because I don't really want to talk about one that, you know, a handful of people tried. Um, it, the, really, the, the one that's worked the best over the past several years has been three quarterbacks, six running backs, seven wide receivers, two tight ends, and two defenses. Um, that's had a win rate of about 9.55%. Um, and the average is about 8.3%, one in 12 teams. Uh, so, you know, it's, um, it's, ha- it's done a little bit better. Uh, one thing about these roster construction win rates is the range, as long as you're doing something within those guardrails in terms of win rates, is, it's not that big. 
Um, you know, I just mentioned the the best one um, was uh, you know just 1.2 percent higher than average. But um, following that, um, you know, really, I don't want to talk about the specific um, constructions; more about the patterns in, in the better ones. Um, all of the top five had either three or two quarterbacks, like we mentioned, either three or two tight ends, either three or two defenses. And then at running back, they all have either five or six, and at wide receiver, either seven or eight. Um, so it's, you know, those are that's really what's worked best over time and sort of straying from it has, um, you know, there are still winning teams. The win rates aren't zero for sure, um, but they have not fared as well um, over the larger sample. Yeah, and where and where you, you know, the difference historically between two and three quarterbacks might be some years less than one percent. Two quarterbacks with a certain roster construction can be good, you know, you can find, you know, it, it can get up to 3 or 4%. To show how quickly things can change, Mike, let's take one that one construction I mentioned, the 25733, and just change one thing. Let's say we go to a 26633, swapping out your seventh wide receiver for a sixth running back. How much does that change your projected win rate? Um. So that one, two six six three three, is about um, you know a nine point two percent win rate, which is still above average. But um, you know it, it takes off uh, about point three percent from the um, two five seven three three. So it, it, you know it's not a big change, but you're only moving between um, you know one player from one position to the other. Um, you know the, maybe a better example is um, you know the one I mentioned as, as being at the top, the three six seven two two. Um, if you just move one wide receiver to um, the tight end in that one, you go from the highest win rate, 9.6, to um, a below average rate of um, 8.2. So, um, you know, it's it can be material, but, you know, material in a sort of statistical significance kind of way, not in a 5 to 8% kind of way typically. Yeah, and that makes sense. Uh, you not only analyze the formats of best ball, you also are a pretty active player yourself. We all know every draft is different, both from the perspective of what position you're picking from and the people drafting around you. How do you apply what you've learned of roster construction when building your own best ball teams? Yeah, so I, um, you know, I'm applying uh, applying it in every single draft I do, and the way that I do that is, um, you know, I'm looking for value, um, you know, the whole time, but especially in the first, uh, you know, six or seven rounds or so, um, and by you know value I mean uh, guys that are going to outperform sort of you know where I'm drafting them, you know, getting a fifth round guy who really is going to perform like a third round guy or something like that. And um, what I do in those first six or seven rounds, um, you know, building a roster out of value uh, will inform how I build the rest of my roster, how my roster construction shakes out. Um, So if in those first several rounds, a a tight end um, fell a little later than, um, you know, I maybe thought he should, I I got him in the uh, fourth round or something 
that informs what I'm going to do at tight end the rest of the way. That, that tells me I'm going to be in the on the two side of the two versus three range for tight ends um, because I'm I'm already strong at the position and I don't need to use that extra roster spot. I can use it to help me in another place. Um, you know, likewise, uh, if I were to start a draft with um, three straight wide receivers, I know I'm stronger at wide receiver. Um, and I'm okay starting with three straight wide receivers. I know I'm stronger there, and I might decide to go with seven instead of eight or, um, in a you know, very rare case, maybe six. Um, but I know that I'm going to need more running backs because I haven't used a premium pick on that. Um, likewise, I'm happy to start a draft with three straight running backs. Um, and it, it's really just adjusting to the what the draft gives you. Um you know, it, it, the time to have two quarterbacks is, um, it, it sounds very simple, um, but the time to have two quarterbacks is when you have two stronger quarterbacks. Um, you know, the time to have three is when you've waited until maybe the 11th round to take your first quarterback. Um, and it's really, you know, you end up sort of with a balance at each of the positions. You know, where you're weaker, you take more, and there are certain areas or ranges that are better depending on how you start your draft. And I'm really taking stock of my whole roster along the way thinking, um, okay, where am I stronger now? Where will I be stronger in a few rounds if I do X, Y, Z and what's likely to be available for me. And sort of piecing all that together um, is how I apply this um, Along than combining yeah. it with uh, the the players, just the players I like and the value I see on the board. Yeah, and that's and that's really the key, right? Every draft, you start with a different draft position and different people, different. You know, one of the things that I'm really big on that I know you are as well is, you know, you might not love a player, but he's a really talented player. You might not love taking an early quarterback. But uh, like today, I think you said you dra- you drafted Russell Wilson for the first time. He dropped into the seventh round, and you know that that's how you can get some exposure to a player. You know, playing the ADP, especially in the early parts of the draft, to build your best roster is a is a big advantage. Right. Um, yeah. Just like you said, you know, the case with Russell Wilson, I mean, I see him go in the fifth round in a lot of my drafts so far. Um, and you know, I, Russell Wilson is really good and he's probably going to end up as one of the best, um, quarterbacks in fantasy, but you know, he's just not worth a fifth round pick to me. I mean, there are running backs and wide receivers that are going to benefit my team more there, but when he slips into the seventh round, you know, I, he is still one of the best players at the position and um, he becomes more appealing. And, uh, you know, he probably is going to return a value that's, um, you know, that's greater than a kind of a seventh round guy. Um, And that's, I'm looking for that constantly throughout the draft. And, and um, that's kind of what I meant by um, letting value dictate at least how I'm starting the first, you know, third of my draft. Um, If somebody falls, I'm going to take them. Uh, you know, you know, unless I already have two tight ends and we're talking about a third tight end or something that, that wouldn't really make any sense, um, I'm going to take the value that falls and then I'm going to use the rest of the draft to make sure I've built a balanced roster. Yep. I, I comp- you know, that, that kind of takes in my electric fence concept where, you know, you want to have the freedom in the backyard to hang out any way you want, 
but you you know your animal another way i kind of started thinking about it lately is like a good mixed drink a good best ball draft is like a good mixed drink you you know roster construction is you know the basic ingredients that go into each drink um but getting that balance right is very important absolutely yep i agree with that yeah. yep so um I think that we've spoken, you and I, a lot about um, how I like to spend most of my time finding ADP crushers while still adhering to sound roster construction. What's your view on the balance between the two? Um, well, I, there's no doubt that finding the real, like, great values, the guys who are really going to crush their ADP, that is a bigger driver of your success than roster construction. Um, I kind of mentioned earlier, roster construction gets you into the right, the right lanes, the right ballpark, and then and then it's still on you to you know to find those ADP crushers to make those great picks. Um, and uh, you know what roster construction does is it puts you in a better position to win when you are making good picks and and keeps you in the game even if you make you know a few bad picks honestly um and the way i look at it is uh you know we mentioned the difference between one or you know two and three quarterbacks um might only be one percent depending on the roster but um in terms of win rate but you know doing things like maybe you know drafting the right number of quarterbacks might add one percent and then making the right decision at wide receiver versus running back might add you know one or two percent and then you know doing the right thing at tight end adds another percent and it adds up it just puts you in a better place you know it doesn't get you to a 30 percent win rate like drafting Todd Gurley did last year but um it gives you a chance to beat the team that drafted Todd Gurley if you weren't if you weren't able to get him um and that's really what it's all about. It's about putting yourself in the best position to win. It's about understanding the game, you know, um, the particular game. You know, all of fantasy football, um, all forms, you know, everybody's trying to pick the best players. Um, and because of that, you got a lot of people, a lot of very smart people doing a lot of hard work projecting um, performance and figuring out who those best players are going to be. And frankly, I... I'm not going to beat all those people at their game, right? I like to use their hard work and where I can beat them is my understanding of best ball. Um, You know, how the game works, putting myself in the best position, beating that game. And that's what I'm trying to do with all this roster construction um, and win rate kind of analysis. Well, and another way to look at it is I did 150 drafts last year and I want to be profitable. You know, let's say my win rate, you know, without roster construction would be, you know, eight and a half percent. Well, that that's basically break even, correct? Uh, yeah, ten percent would be break. Ten percent. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. With the yeah. rate, right, right. I got it confused with uh, <laughs> twelve round. Never mind. Um, <laughs> some best ball expert, huh? Um, so yeah, we're tra- we're trying for a ten percent win rate to beat the rake and to to be profitable. Um, and if you know, let's say roster construction helps you to win out of a hundred drafts, one more draft, that's the difference between winning ten leagues and eleven leagues. That's the difference between being profitable and not being profitable. So you know, even though you can't define it, 
roster construction is 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 fattening up your wallet and uh or the other way if you have some bad injuries if you have proper roster construction you can overcome that injury and possibly be uh you know win some leagues so it's a really good thing and like you mentioned with ADP crushers everyone thinks that they're going to be able to find the ADP crushers and while there's a lot more advantage if you get it right Roster construction is something anyone can do. Right, and that's that's the thing that that is really important there. Roster construction. I mean, once you understand it, you know, once once you've um, put in a little bit of the work, whether it's you know, I did a lot of work, but uh, you know, if you, if your work is just reading a couple of my articles and your articles, um, so you have a good understanding of it, it's so easy to execute. Um, you know, finding the player who's going to outperform his ADP by five rounds is really hard. Um, you know, staying within, uh, you know, following sort of these, these quote-unquote rules and making smart decisions about balancing your roster, it's really easy. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't matter, um, you know, what draft position you have. It doesn't matter who's in your draft. But you can build a well-balanced, you know, well-constructed roster um, just by, you know, just by sort of paying attention to it um, and being aware of these guidelines. Uh, whether you pick great players um, in the process, you know, is, um, you know, sort of. You're going to uh, need to do both. You, you know, you're going really, to need to do both, yeah. You're going you're gonna, to, you um, know, if you want to be consistently profitable. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, you know, as we go on with this series, uh, for those who are listening, I'm going to, I feel, and it worked for me last year, but one year is definitely not big enough of a sample size. But I feel that there are ways that you can narrow, just like Mike can narrow with roster construction, I do feel that there are things that we can look for, guideposts. They're not as clear a signal as numbers are, like, you know, where you can just define it into roster construction. But we will be continuing to look for ADP crushers and how you might be able to identify them and, again, give you that little bit of extra chance of finding them over the competition as we go forward. But speaking of the current market, Mike, and the, the, the early ADP that we're seeing, um, let's start with just a couple guys that you feel are really good values based on what you're seeing so far in draft. Yeah, um, so there are some guys who keep ending up on my roster. Um, you know, one of them that uh, I've been drafting a lot of is, uh, I think we've talked about him before, but Jay Ajayi, um, he's slipping into the fifth round. Um and he, I mean, last year we were drafting him, we meaning everybody, was drafting well, him Well, meaning me round. especially, yes. <laughs> I had a lot of them last yeah, year. Yeah, no, I was, I was too. Um, but, we, were, you know, we were drafting him in the second round when he was on the Dolphins, um, which is, I mean, we knew they weren't going to be a good team. But we knew he was the lead back. Um, you know, we knew that he was capable of putting up big numbers. Um, you know, he's a talented guy. He's not the best running back in the league, but he's a talented guy. And now, you know, he's on the Eagles, who just won the Super Bowl without their quarterback. They're going to be better this year um, just by virtue of having Wentz under center. They're going to score more touchdowns, or they should. 
Um, and he's, uh, you know, uh, Blunt is gone. Uh, they may bring somebody else in, but he's still, he's the guy. He's going to have so many opportunities. Um, you know, it's not a slam dunk pick, but he, he's a guy, anytime he falls into the fifth round, I grab him, you know, without hesitation. Um, so that's certainly one of them uh, so far. And then uh, let's, I'll jump to another position. A guy that I've really liked, um, well, for a while I was, uh, again, sort of fifth-round range, uh, scooping up Des Bryant every time. I'm getting a little nervous about the recent news. Um, <laughs> yeah, the news but, is starting yeah, to get a little shaky. Yeah, and I agree I, with I, you. I, I, was, think... I was drafting a lot of Des early. Yeah, and it just seems like, you know, we're even a decline for Des doesn't put him in the fifth round, right? Like, you know, you, 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 if you're willing to accept he's not the same Des he was a couple of years ago, um, any forward progress for the, for the um, Cowboys offense is going to mean he's producing more than a fifth-round wide receiver. Or, um, you know, so he, he's a guy I sort of locked on to early. And then um, another one I really like is um, Devin Funches has been going – uh, relatively late. Sixth round, I, right? I've a sixth round. Sometimes he slips into the seventh round and I don't really understand why. I mean, we saw last year, once he was the guy, um, he, he produced, um, you know, uh, Benjamin was gone. I mean, they're not, it, you know, they brought in what Tory Smith. Um, it's not, he's not going to, you know, eat into a lot of um, punches targets. Uh, it might be a little different with a healthy Greg Olson, but still yeah, that's what sixth I was or seventh round. Um, sixth or seventh round, though, is the top wide receiver for Cam, who I still think has quite a bit left in the tank, um, is just too late for me. Um, you know, so I'm grabbing him when he's there. Um, and then a quarterback, a guy I really like. And I really liked him last year. and It didn't really work out, so maybe I'm just – um, walking into the same trap, but um, Marcus Mariota, um, I've I've got him ranked as a as think, a QB one this year. Um, I you know I think that uh, one, I think that one, Mike. I'm going to interrupt for a sec. I think that one is. I don't have a lot of them yet, but you know, one of the signals I was talking about signals for finding ADP crushers. One of them mm-hmm. is when there's a coaching change. That that is looks like it's going to be in the favor of the player, right? I mean, Mariota was with just the the, the worst coaching staff last year, very conservative, um, you know, run, 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 and now they've got someone coming in. I think his name's Lafleur, is the offensive coordinator from the Rams. Uh, we we saw what happened there. I, I like that one, um, even though I've been going with. Um, one of uh, you know, I'll give a couple names. The guy that I'm quarterback in that range that I'm really high on is uh, Pat Mahomes. I think he's super talented. You know, right now Kelsey's being drafted in the second, sometimes third round. Tyreek Hill second, third round. Sammy Watkins in the sixth round, and the quarterback who's going to be throwing them the ball. Um, let me get his his ADP here. Right now, he's going off the board. I think it's number 21, 20 or twenty one. Um, so I I like him. Um, what what are your thoughts on Mahomes? Uh, 
Yeah, I I like him for um you know for where he's going. I mean his his ADP is creeping up a little bit. I think other people are kind of getting wise to uh, what, all the things you just said, especially with uh, Watkins coming in. Um, I still I'm I'm hesitant to trust a. I mean, effect he's not really a rookie, but as far as I'm concerned, I don't have a lot of um, you know NFL. Um, production to go on with him. So I really prefer him as a guy that I might make the second quarterback if I did reach for one of the elite guys, or really I'm more likely to make him part of a three quarterback team, you know, one where I maybe waited a bit and he's my QB two and I'll add another guy after him. Um, I just, I'm hesitant to, to really go all in on a guy, especially at quarterback um, where you know, the, there don't tend to be huge payoffs in terms of win rate on quarterbacks. Um, you know, a guy, he seems like he has more risk than I generally like to take at the position. Yeah, I, I love his upside, but you're right. Just in general, the win rates on quarterbacks tend to never get over 15%. So why would you want to have, you know, 25% of a quarterback? Uh, doesn't make much sense to me, but he's the guy I like. I'll throw out you know, a couple other names of people that I, you know, you hit on a couple good ones um, that I thought of. Uh, one of my most owned guys is late, and it's a tight end. It's Jared Cook. I mean, 13th, 14th round, you know, most of the second-year guys are going ahead of him, uh, Kittle and Njoku and O.J. Howard. But uh, Cook had more catches than all of them. Uh, they, you know, lose Crabtree, bring in Jordy, and then you got Gruden coming in. I, I, I really like him, and um, I definitely also have been taking a lot of the rookie running backs. And I know it's risky not knowing what team they're on, but uh, Chubb um, especially I seem to end up with because it's just so hard to get that second or third running back. Um, I, I, I've been finding myself get a lot of Nick Chubb. So those are my guys. Um, you can feel free to comment and shoot them down or just uh, give us before we go a couple guys that you think are being overdrafted right now. Now, why do you think I'm going to shoot them down? <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm actually, just... I'm, <laughs> I'm totally on board with you on both of those. Um, Cook, I've been drafting a lot. I mean, the 14th round, like you mentioned, uh, you know, he's after guys like, um, you know, Safarian Jenkins, who's moving to a new team. and um, Where and, they and never Kittle, threw like to the said. tight end. Right, exactly. And, you know, Witten, who, you know, I actually kind of like Witten. Um, but, you know, I like who, him too, but he's 90 years old. How much longer he can go. Exactly. Um, I mean, Cook just deserves uh, a little more respect than that. And if I can get him in the 14th round, I mean, I'm happy to have him – as just the second guy um, in a two tight end, um, you know, sort of construction. And usually if you're taking a guy that late, um, it's really a more questionable play. You, you, you often want to go with three. Um, so I've, I've I'm taking him as my I'm, third. I'm on board there. Um, well, I, a lot of times, so on, one of the guys I like, a couple of the guys I like are um, Greg Olson and um, Kyle Rudolph. Um, and they, you know, they're going in the single digit rounds. So typically if I have one of them and I add cook, then I'm, I'm happy to stop at two. 
Um, or a guy like Evan Ingram is another one. Um, he's a little more expensive in the sort of fifth round range, but um been buying a fair amount of him, especially with all the weirdness with Odell. Um, you know, I mean, ultimately Odell's probably going to be there and he's probably going to play all the games, but, um, you know, Ingram just, uh, I just feel like the, the volume's going to be there for him. Um, I'm, I'm a shepherd rookie guy running so back, far when it comes to shepherd too, picking actually. my giants. Um, yeah, well, I've been buying both. Honestly, I, I don't put them both on the same team, generally speaking, but um, I like both in terms of where they're priced. Um, and then you mentioned the rookie running backs. Um, I actually I wrote an article for uh, Roto Grinders not long ago, uh, just a few weeks ago, um, about the rookies and how even if you were just indiscriminately buying rookie running backs from the first, like, 12 rounds um, – Odds are, just based on the last several years of data, most of them are going to be more expensive three months from now. Um, after the draft happens, after we know where they're going to land, and some of them are going to jump a lot. So, you know, there are, um, you know, I'm still, uh, you know, I'm sort of doing my research, and this is somewhere um, working with uh, Russell Clay, who's, who really knows his rookies, um, has really been helpful for me, um, is – you know, uh, these guys can jump several rounds in ADP after the draft. Um, and they usually don't fall that far if they fall. Um, so it just generally speaking, from a portfolio perspective, it's good to get them now as opposed to later. You know, so I want, I want maybe a little bit um, outsized uh, exposure to the rookie running backs this time of year. And then I can pump the brakes on them, you know, later in the year if, if they get more be. expensive. Yeah, exactly. Or or if they end up in a, a non-ideal um, landing spot. But, I mean, look at uh, look at Hunt uh, last year. You know, everyone thought, yeah, he has a chance to beat Ware, but, he, you know, both of them are going to play plenty. And then Ware got hurt and Hunt was, you know, he was he was one of the top five, you know, winning percentages, I believe, last year. I know he ended died a little at the end, but um, Kamara, another exactly. one who, yeah. So uh, I'm big on the the rookie running backs right now, and if, you know, again, you were, you mentioned the term portfolio. We'll get into that more as we go forward uh, with these different pods. That's one of T.J. Hernandez's favorite uh, terms when it comes to best ball. You know, if I'm building up to thirty percent of Nick Chubb. And he, let's say he goes to the Raiders, right? Pretty good offense, good offensive line. They got two really old running backs there. Let's say they take Nick Chubb. I mean, he's got a chance to be a monster. And I'm sure there's a few other spots where he could be a monster. Um, you know, it's just, you know, getting him in the fifth, sixth round. I mean, I watch this guy's tape and I'm a fan. I, I You know, and then if, like you said, if it doesn't work out, and I, you know, I could lower my exposure into the ten to fifteen percent range by the time the season kicks off. Exactly. Um, All right. Yeah, and like you said you about, throw, uh, we're running, we're running kind of to the end here. But I definitely want to get a couple overpriced guys from you before I uh, say goodbye. Sure. Um, well, it's almost a blanket statement. Um, it's not as bad this time of year, but the top you know, two or three quarterbacks 
um, almost always are going for too much. Um, Aaron Rodgers in the fourth round, I just I don't like paying that price um, when there are still some great wide receivers and maybe the last couple of good running backs. I, I it's just too much when when you can build a really great quarterback score out of three late quarterbacks or two sort of in the middle of the draft. Um, I'm not willing to pay that price um, most of the time. Uh, so he's he's a guy. Him and um, you know I mentioned Russell Wilson. Wilson. When he's in the fifth, Wilson, yeah. yeah, in the fifth round, it's too much. Um, you know he dropped to the seventh. I was willing to to you know grab a share, but um, uh, I'm not willing to pay a fifth round pick for him. Um, and then another uh, maybe overvalued guys. Um, you know, so I've never been a fan of drafting Tevin Coleman. Um, he's going in about the sixth round right now. Um, I know he's got upside if, uh, you know, Freeman is to go down, but he's just um, – I, I don't think there's enough production there to I, – I don't want to hope for an injury. I mean, it feels like a handcuff even if I don't have Freeman too, um, but he's priced as an actual, you know, producer. Um, and, and he'll give you some points, but it's, it's really not enough for me. Um, God, who else? Um, I know those are the ones that come to mind immediately. Yeah, no worries. Uh, yeah. I'm going to throw out one. I'm going to throw out Kareem Hunt that we just talked about in the first round, and to a certain mm-hmm. extent Alvin Kamara as well. Um, Hunt just, you know, was going to, you know, for the very reason I just mentioned, Ware and Hunt were going to split that job. And even when Ware went down, Andy Reid made it clear that, you know, he, he even though Sharkandrick West was not very good last year, he was in there on almost every third down and some of the goal line. And I know Ware might not come back from an injury, but I don't want a first-round running back who's in a timeshare. And and to a certain extent, that goes to Alvin Kamara as well. Court Smith on Rotoviz, you know, as they often do on Rotoviz, put things much better than I ever could. Um, I mean, his Kamara's uh, receptions, just how efficient he was. It, I mean, it was better than like any running back ever, including Ladainian Tomlinson, and he's splitting the job with Mark Ingram and Kamara also had 13 touchdowns last year and the Saints ran the ball and got the ball to their running backs way more last year than historically uh, with the Drew Brees offense all that regression just makes me a little nervous and a little itchy um, let's finish up with you get, getting your thoughts on Hunt and Kamara uh, in the first yeah so I agree with you there they're probably overvalued, but, you know, I don't know where I would, would move them, to be honest. Um, and and I kind of feel like almost everybody in the first round is overvalued, like, it, it, depending on how you look at it, because the uh, it, I refer to this as asymmetric risk. Um, so, you know, they can't, they can't really do better than they're supposed to do, uh, but they can do a lot worse. Um you know, so there, there's that downside risk. Um, you know, if they have a great year, well, they were supposed to have a great year, right? Um, but Hunt in particular, I'm I'm really sort of torn on him because, um, 
I mean, having the lead guy, and I believe he is the lead guy, you know, he'll, he'll cede some touches to those other guys. But, I mean, uh, you know, I as soon as Ware went down last year, um, you know, one of, the, one of the things I put on Twitter was, you know, Andy Reid's RB1 is dead. Long live Andy Reid's RB1. You know, like you right, want right. the guy who's getting the majority of the touches in Andy Reid's offense at running back. Um, and I, I, you know, honestly, I in terms of repeat performances, I actually probably have more faith in Hunt than Kamara because Kamara's was just so ridiculous, like you mentioned. Um, but you know, I. But I think about I. I don't really want to take. Um, you know, I don't want to take LaShawn McCoy ahead of them. I don't really want to take Barkley ahead of them. I mean, I'm just looking at the guys who are behind them, ADP, well, Fournette. For, you know for, me, for me, it's more like he's been drafted ahead of Hopkins in a lot of drafts, ahead of Odell Beckham, uh, ahead of Mike Thomas. Um, those would be the guys. I, I, I agree with you at running back, but we got to end it there, Mike. I really appreciate you coming on and doing um, – uh, the, the pod. Um, tell everyone how they can find you again. Yep. So I'm on Twitter at Beerswater. Um, and then uh, the Best Ball Command Center this is my big new project. Um, if you go to DynastyCommandCenter.com, there's a link there to um, get to my Best Ball Command Center product. And uh, yeah, we'd be happy to have you. We're building a nice crew in there already, and it's been a lot of fun. Um, so I, I hope we can get some more people in and um, and just build the team. Awesome, Mike. Thank you so much again, and thanks to everyone for listening. That This has been the Fanball MFL 10 show. More states, more options, more fun. We'll see you next week, folks. Thank you very much. <laughs>